Back in November, we reported on the most popular fishing techniques in our Tackling Fishing blog. A few months on and, unsurprisingly, fishing threats have not gone away. Today we take a deeper dive into one of the most prevalent techniques used by fishing actors, email spoofing. Practitioners and offenders should stay tuned to learn more about how attackers go about spoofing emails and how measures such as SPF, DMARC and DKIM can be used to reduce your fishing risks. All this to come on today's Shadow Talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk. Joining me, Rafael Amado. Today we have Senior Security Engineer Simon Hall. Hey Simon, thanks for joining. Hey Raf, how you doing? Very good. Now Simon specifically is on the show today to discuss the issue of email spoofing, which is something he knows a few things about. We recently published an extended practitioner's guide to email spoofing, which followed on from the tackling phishing research we put out in December last year. Now in this blog, Simon broke down exactly what email spoofing is, how it's used by attackers, and then we have some tips on how email controls such as SPF, DMARC and DKIM can be used to combat spoofers. We'll go through each of these in a bit more detail as the talk develops today, particularly so you can try and implement them in your own organisation if you haven't already. So to start it all off, Simon, what exactly is email spoofing? Uh, okay, so uh, email spoofing is a technique where attackers are able to create an email, um, but from instead of using a email domain they control, they're able to actually specify a domain for any organisation they want out there. Um, so, for instance, um, you know, if you've got example.com, uh, the the attacker doesn't own that domain or they are unable to send emails directly from it. But if they have an email server or access to an SMTP server, they're able to create an email with the example.com as the sender email address. And then they're able to send a, an email to wherever they like with that particular sender that they've spoofed. Um, this technique is really easy to achieve as an attacker. I mean, all you need to be able to do is create your own SMTP service or find an open SMTP service out there on the internet and then specify a few commands, just a handful of commands and you'll be able to send uh, an email from whomever you like to whoever you like. So it's actually a really simple technique. So go back to, so just to simplify even more, I receive an email that says from someone at digitalshadows.com but if this is an email spoof, that sender actually doesn't own or have control over the digitalshadows.com email yeah. server, right? Yeah, exactly. So when it comes down to it, um, an email is actually, when it's sent from a, an SMTP server, which is the main server for sending emails generally, um, the actual sender um, can be specified by whoever connects to that server. So whether it's a server connecting to another server to actually specify that sender, or whether it's an attacker using Telnet, like an old school technique, to connect to an SMTP server and then just specifying a particular header, um, the from header, uh, and you can basically specify whatever email domain you like and whatever uh, local part of the email you like. So you can have simon.hall at digitalshadows.com, but sending from a mail server in Russia. So is that is that a design flaw? Is that an oversight on SMTP? So like simple mail transfer protocol, server, or is it? Yeah, are attackers just? Yeah, it's not an oversight. I mean, the 
the kind of a whole premise of the spoofing was a legitimate use back in the day. Like, so SMTP has been around for a long time, like from the 80s, the initial RFC. Um, but initially, like you never really knew where that mail was going to come from. So people could send emails from any organization, any university they're at for a given domain. And that was kind of part of the design. And as time's gone along, um, everyone's become heavily reliant on SMTP or in email protocols in general. Um, and it hasn't really been re-implemented. There's no, there was no requirement for security initially. There was no really thought, uh, you know, no thought about security. It wasn't really a concern back then. And it's like a lot of these legacy protocols. It wasn't really an issue. Um, you know, they didn't think people could be able to misuse it when it comes, you know, twenty years later. Is there currently like a legitimate use case for for email spoofing, or is is it mainly something that malicious actors engage in? Well, you can look at it as uh, spoofing, but when you look at um, third-party marketing services, they're sending an email on your behalf from one of their mail servers. So technically, that is actually spoofing. Um, so there are legit legitimate uses for it. So you can have you know a hundred third parties, and you've authorized all of those to send an email on your behalf. So all of their mail servers will be doing this exact techniques that attackers are using by appending, or well, not appending, but adding your domain, um, whether it's info at digitalshadows.com, as the from address. And it's coming from one of their servers, not from a digital shadow server. So this is a common technique, and technically it is spoofing, but you're authorizing the organization to send it on your behalf. So it is still valid, and it's still used regularly. So it might be quite obvious to some of our listeners already from what you've said. How can email spoofing be used by an attacker to to perform an attack? What, what type of things can they do with email spoofing? What are um, the possibilities out there for them? Yeah, so I mean, there's a, a lot of uses for it. So I mean, why use email spoofing over other methods? So it's it's a lot easier than the alternatives. For instance, if an attacker wants to, to send a malicious email with an attachment, for instance, to try and target your organization, there's a couple of routes they could go through. So they could, um, we'll go back to spoofing, which is the obvious one, but they can um, try and brute force uh, an SMTP server on a mail server out on the internet or use credentials that they've already harvested. So there's a lot of malware out there that harvest um, like credential, user credentials for email. So you may find some campaigns are actually sending from a legit legitimate email, but that's where they've acquired credentials from a breach or they've acquired email credentials through brute force or whatever else. But this is quite in-depth to, to get to that point. And they've got to find the credentials, got to buy the credentials, and they've got to go through that whole process of compromising an email account. So that, that wouldn't be an email spoof if they've actually managed an to no. get into that server and sending no. legitimately from there, or maliciously, but legitimately they're sending from that server. This is it. So this is a, an email compromise, and they use that. And we see that in so many campaigns, they still use this technique because the credentials are out there, as we've seen in many campaigns. But that's a lot more uh, complicated to go through, and there's a lot more steps. Um, but when it comes down to spoofing, it's a lot easier. They only have to identify an SMTV server somewhere or create their own where they can actually send that email from. Um, so what they would use this for is, say, I want to target an individual within digital shadows. So let's take business email compromise. Like everyone's heard of that. Um, you know, you've had a CEO of an organization messaging someone in finance to say, could you transfer this money or these Amazon vouchers to to you know to whomever? Um, if you use the spoofed email for this, it's a lot more convincing. 
So if I spoofed, you know, CEO of an organisation to another member within the same organisation, it's a lot more convincing than if I used a Gmail account from a compromised account or whether I've created a random Gmail account for this attack. So spoofing has a lot of benefits over that. So you can actually convince people more. It's more of a law uh, for, for these attacks. We were talking beforehand and it feeds into some, some other recent research that we've done. So we talked about last week how we, the Photon team here at Digital Shadows, we published our new extortion paper, A Tale of Epic Extortions, which you can find on the Digital Shadows website. Now, email spoofing was a feature of those extortion camps, at least the, the sample that we looked at. So how, how exactly were sextortionists using email spoofing techniques? So that was an interesting one. So the sextortion or, and the extortion campaigns in general uh, used it as a piece of context to, to say, well, some of the campaigns said they had a password, but they'd also say the additional piece of evidence other than the password that I have access to your system is that I'm also sending this email to you from your own email account. So they used that spoof of a... Uh, the from address being the same as the to address to actually be a piece of their context, a piece of their evidence to say that they have access to the individual system, which is quite clever in a way. Um, But I guess it moves us on to some of the the kind of more uh, risky things behind using spoofing, which is quite interesting. They will lower their chance of success by using the spoofed email address as well. Um, By, you know, with a lot of cloud organizations, cloud mail systems, for instance, they all have you know certain policies on there to start detecting these spoofed email accounts. Um, so yeah, while it works in some cases, there are a lot of kind of risks um, to to using spoof, uh, spoofed accounts as well. So picking up on that, would you say by using the email spoofing technique in those extortion campaigns, if they were targeting an individual or an email address? of an organization that is using some of this cloud email solution to, to combat it, the email spoofing would actually make it less likely to go, to be received by the victim or yeah, more in, likely? Yeah, in, in some cases. So in the, the blog um, we published on email security, um, we covered some of uh, the, the kind of the common defenses that have been bolted onto these like SPF and DMARC and DKIM, which we'll, we can cover a bit more. Um, so these are being implemented more and more. If an organization is using any of these sort of policies on their primary email domain, it's more likely that that email is going to end up in spam or it's going to be blocked by a mail system. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. If you use a compromised account, for instance, and send it to your target. So if I want to send a sextortion campaign, for instance, from a compromised email account, it's a genuine Gmail account, it's a genuine Outlook account, it's a genuine organisation's account, it's less likely to be picked up as spam um, than it would be if it's spoofed. Um, but spoofing is the easier option and you can do mass emails through this method. Okay, well you, you touched on some of the defensive or the mitigation measures there. I think that's probably a good, good place for us to move on to now. So you've mentioned a few things, you've mentioned SPF. Uh, the other two are DMARC and DKIM. Now, right. for everyone's benefit, SPF is Sender Policy Framework. We've got DMARC, which is Domain Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance. You can see why the acronyms are <laughs> are useful here. And then finally, with DKIM, we've got Domain Keys Identified Mail. We'll go through each of these. It'd be helpful if you can explain them yeah, to us. 
Uh, for my benefit as well, I probably need a refresh as well. So let's start with SPF. Now this isn't the SPF that probably most of us <laughs> talk about in terms of protecting right. us from the sun. This is something very, very different, right? Right, we'll, we'll keep it um, high level because some of these can get quite complex. But so F SPF itself is a basic framework to try and combat some of the risks of spoofing. So what SPF basically does is allows you to create a list of servers you're expecting to send mail from your domain. Um, so if you're you know, digital shadows, uh, we can specify in our DNS records, um, we can actually specify which servers should be sending email from digital shadows. And you could basically say, so I want 10 servers, I know 10 servers of my, of my company are using to send email, so, uh, to send email from. So you can specify those in your DNS text records um, as a SPF record. And you can also say what someone should essentially do or how they should react if these emails, if they receive emails from servers other than these. So for instance, if you send a, an email from Digital Shadows to another organization from a server we don't expect it to come from, when that recipient receives it, they can they can decide to look at your SPF records and see whether it was expected to come from that sender, um, and if so, how they should treat that. So SPF on its own is okay, um, but the problem is when you create an SPF record, you can specify whether it's neutral. So you know even if it falls outside of the the domains or the IP addresses you specify, it's okay. You know just let it through or you can specify a soft fail, which is kind of an incrementer for a spam score. Um, so if you've specified a, a soft fail within the SPF record and they receive the email and they bother to check your record um, and it doesn't come from one of the IP addresses we've specified, then they may put it into the junk folder or they may block it or whatever action they want to do on that. And then you can have hard fail as well, which again, just increments that even more to say this is even more risky and it shouldn't really be coming from this IP address. But at the end of the day, with any of these um, methods, it's all down to the recipient. So the recipient mail server will decide on how it's going to act on there. So if it does check your SPF record, it will say, okay, it didn't come from any of these servers, but it's got to make a decision on how it handles that mail. Now, anyone, any mail server generally, that does obey by SPF and it checks it. If it's got a soft fail or a hard fail, normally it will just increment a spam score and put it straight into junk if it reaches you know, a certain threshold. So it'll check other things, it'll check headers, it'll check for keywords in the text, invoice or whatever else, and it will start incrementing and adding a, you know, a spam score as such and then it will get rid of that mail if it reaches over a certain threshold. And how specific or con configurable is that, the different hard and soft fail scores and thresholds that you can reach? Is it on or per organization you can you can choose what your threshold is or is mm. it quite a limited it's, frame that you, you have to work within? Yeah, it, it's generally fairly limited and it's normally hidden from the users quite a lot. Um, so I know a lot of the cloud providers and stuff like that, they provide some uh, methods for kind of thresholds for, for spam likelihoodness, um, but in most cases that's kind of hidden. So with SPF, you know, if it's a hard fail or soft fail, it, quite often it will just get junked. Um, so, you know, as I say, it's down to the recipient mail server whether they actually obey by that and what they do. And quite often, you know, a lot of these times they will just get straight through to, to your inbox anyway. Um, 
And then you move on to uh, DKIM, for instance, as we say, it's so DKIM is like a digital signature on emails. So your again, your DNS records will hold a it will hold like a public key for for signing, and then the mail server that's sending the email will do a, a digital sign a signature on your email. So when the recipient receives that email, they can check the key that you hold in your digital uh, in your uh, DNS records to make sure it's ver and verify it. Um, so yeah, uh, high level DKIM gets quite kind of complex and causes a lot of problems for organisations as well. Because um, as we mentioned before, you may have third parties that are sending emails on your behalf. So you've got to make sure all of those third parties are signing your emails, else you'll get a lot of failures and people just won't end up having your marketing emails or whatever else. I'm sure some people appreciate that. Um, but, you know, it can become a bit of a problem. And again, you know, at the end of the day, it's always down to the recipient mail server, whether they check these policies and how they react on those. And then you have DMARC, which is kind of, and to say it's basically a reporting policy and also a policy to help the recipient mail server decide on how they're going to take action on something. So with SPF, you can specify whether it's a hard fail or a soft fail, and this kind of increments the spam score. It still doesn't tell the recipient mail server what they should do that. So, you know, it may increment the spam score and it may go into a spam folder, but it doesn't say you should get rid of this. If it doesn't come from these IP addresses, you should just bin this email or you should tell us. So with DMARC, you can actually specify a policy. So you can say if either DKIM or SPF fails or just one, whichever you're using, then you should take this action. So you, you can quarantine the emails, you can stick it into quarantine and then you can do further investigations. You should reject the email and just get it. Or you can have like a, an empty neutral policy so the email will just pass through, um, which may seem a bit pointless, but uh, DMARC also has a reporting option as well. So you can specify email or one or more email addresses uh, for reports to go to. So. If a SPF or DKIM um, policy fails, with DMARC you can actually specify an email address for reports to be sent to. So it will give your organisation a view of people trying to spoof your email domain. Um, so there's a couple of different policies you can do in there. You can do like the aggregate reports, which are a general report that just says, okay, you've had X amount of failures um, that could be spoofs or whatever else um, within a 24-hour period, let's say. Or you can have uh, forensics reports, which will actually give you more details. Again, depending on the, center, the uh, recipient mail servers, whether they obey by these and whether they want to send you information. But they can actually give you details of how many times they failed, uh, why they failed, and information about the emails in general. So you can actually get a, a bit of a more of a kind of forensic report about people trying to spoof your organisation, which can be really useful. So you're you're a member of our internal security team here you you deal with these you you're obviously interested in this in this reporting feature that mm. that dmark provides so going on what you've just said that it can provide you what would you then do with that with that type of information that forensic information i think it's one of these things that it depends on your organization and kind of how you know how that how you interact with your end users do you have a massive end user base so if you're seeing this information you've got a forensic report and you can actually potentially identify a particular campaign that's going up, you may want to then use social media or direct emails to your clients to say, okay, we're being spoofed. Um, you know, and you'll see this with banks quite a lot. Um, so if they, you know, 
they may have it in the media, they've seen that they're being spooked, Patriots BC, whoever else, you know, you'll generally, you often get emails from to say, you know, there's a high amount of phishing or something going on with our domain, people trying to spoof, not necessarily their email domain, but the content of their emails to kind of convince people to go and enter their, their credit card information, their debit card information into a site. If you know ahead of time that this is happening by looking at reports, forensic reports for DMARC, you can actually get ahead of the curve and you can then send out, you know, potentially automated messages to say there's been an uptick in people spoofing our domain. Um, so be vig extra vigilant and you know, kind of these are what you should do if you receive a phishing email. So the sense I'm getting here is that individually maybe there's there's a lot of limitations to, to each of these measures or solutions. For sure. So you're saying in either world you should use all three at once or is two out of three okay? Yeah, I think, again, it depends on your organisation, the skill levels that you have internally as well. So say DCOM can be quite tricky to implement, especially if you're using a lot of third parties to send your information. If you've literally got one email sender, then it's, you know, it's probably easier to implement something like DKIM. Um, but, so it does, I guess, depend on the maturity of your organization and the skill levels in-house, whether you should implement all three. Um, and I think you know, any one of these kind of things, whether it's SPF or DKIM, um, just implementing one of these could give you, especially if you're using DMARC as well, give you a better visibility of what's going on with uh, spoofing for your organization, but also, it could protect your your own kind of internal staff more um, and also the reputation of your organisation as well. I guess we should warn against overconfidence as well. So let, sure. even if you're mature enough to implement all three, that's not a surefire solution, right? No, of course not. Um, so it's quite interesting. Uh, something I kind of come across during the research that really baffled me was some cloud providers, uh, they provide you the option of doing um, trusted senders so if you specify yourself as a trusted sender, which people think, okay, it's my domain, I'm a trusted sender. Um, the minute you specify yourself, your own email domain as a trusted sender, it negates with a lot of cloud providers, or some in particular, it will negate those policies. So if someone was from an external server that you don't know, was to send a spoofed email from your domain to your domain, and you've enabled your domain as a trusted sender, that will just fly through and end up in the inbox of one of your staff members. So it kind of makes that level of business email compromise and a whole lot worse because they can spoof your domain, it's trusted, you know, it gets rid of all of those policies and the whole point of them are there to protect you. So if you've accidentally or for some reason, you know, legitimately pop, uh, added your own domain as a trusted sender, then, you know, these just won't work. Um, but and again, as we mentioned before, it's it's down to the recipient mail server whether they obey by these policies or not. So while they may not work, it's best to implement the best you can for your skill level um, and try and you know and get something out of these for your organisation and for your end users. And correct me if I'm wrong. Another area where maybe these measures won't have too much of an effect is domain squats and typo squats, right? Right, of course. I mean. This is one of those things that they're, they're generally more targeted, though. So when we look at spoofed um, emails, as I say, it's risky and they can quite often get blocked. Um, and this is one of the benefits of using compromised accounts because you're less likely to have it blocked. 
but it comes down to um, typo squats. These are not normally used for mass, um, mass mouse spam or, or whatever else. These are generally more targeted because there's a lot more effort that has to go into it. So they have to acquire a domain, they have to set up and stand up mail servers, they have to do all the DNS configuration, they have to pay for all of this, you know, and they have to cover the tracks in the same process. So it's a lot more targeted. Um, so while these these policies won't protect you against that, um, it's yeah, it's a sort of different area in total. So so the SPF is more likely to protect you, SPF DMARC and DCAM more likely to protect you and your end users from mass mouse spam or mass phishing campaigns. Um, whereas, you know, there's a lot less defensive measures against typo squats in um, domains, for instance, or domain squats. So, you know, this is where someone takes digital shadows and removes a letter or replaces a letter to make it look like yourself, you know, to make it look like the legitimate, to make it look like the legitimate domain. Um, this is a lot more difficult to protect against, but if you're using uh, more mature email providers and um, security systems, they allow you to do impersonation policies and all sorts of policies that will actually allow you to detect, easily detect those changes in domain. Um, so you can specify a particular, if you know which third parties you're using, you can specify a particular third party domain and the exact domain um, that it should be coming from and if that kind of variates then you can have a policy taken into into account but you do need to be using kind of more mature systems for this if you've just got an in-house um, exchange server it's a lot more difficult to to protect against those sort of things and if you are looking to implement some of these measures i really recommend you check out the research that simon so kindly authored and that he's been talking about today it's available on the Digital Shadows website. It's called A Security Practitioner's Guide to Email Spoofing and Risk Reduction. Very helpfully, it's got a load of screenshots as well as a step-by-step -step process for certain elements of implementing these different measures. So really practical and useful tool, I think, for, for defenders and organizations trying to combat some of, these, some of these threats. Now, Simon, coming up to the end of the show, discussed a lot today there are a lot of takeaways and I think probably listeners should go directly onto the blog itself to right. to get them. But if there's one thing you want listeners to take away from today, what would that be? Um, I think it's just that um, that level of confidence, as you say, in these solutions. While these solutions are good when they're implemented, don't take that false sense of confidence into, into account because you know there are ways around these protection methods as there are with all security methods. Yeah, just uh, yeah, just make sure people still remain vigilant, even with these uh, security methods in place, and still doing the general regular checks for phishing campaigns and and so forth. And but also double checking things like the trusted sender. And I think that's something that a lot of people have been caught out with. And I've actually spoken to a fair few organisations recently where they've been still receiving spoofed messages after they've implemented SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. Um, but they're coming from their own organization to their own organization and it turns out they've actually had their own domain as trusted and this is a big thing that people really need to check this because it will wipe out any of these policies for your own organization if you have any of your own experiences on combating email spoofing then 
feel free to reach out to us on photon underscore research that's our twitter handle we'd love to have this discussion with you share experiences and we can take this topic on even further throughout the year if but if necessary well simon thanks a lot for joining me been a pleasure i've learned a lot <laughs> i hope our listeners have as well as i said check out simon's blog on the digital shadows website and it'd be great if you could leave a review for us on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. That makes it easier for other people to find the show as well. All right, thank you for listening. Have a great week.